Blog Talk Radio. Huge victory that no one, no one expected that victory. And that was a huge victory for the uh, St. Louis Rams. We're having some technical difficulties here. I think you guys may have missed it open. Welcome to Go For It. I'm your host, Paul Gant. We got those technical difficulties taken care of. But in this show, we're going to be joined by Joe Barksdale, the Rams, Big victory against the Denver Broncos. We're going to discuss that. Also, we're going to talk to Darren Walls of the New York Jets, talk about the Jets' victory over the Steelers, and also their upcoming game against the Buffalo Bills, which will now be in Detroit. So we're going to talk to Darren Walls about that. Also, track star Marvin Bracey. Marvin used to play for Florida State. Now Marvin is a big-time track star. We're going to talk to him about his transition from football to track. And also, you got the World Championships coming up in 2015, the Olympics in 2016, so we're going to talk to Marvin about that. And also, Hall of Famer Willie Rofe will be joining us, and we're going to get his thoughts on all things NFL. Of course, we got to get his thoughts on the situation with Adrian Peterson. We're going to start right there with Adrian Peterson. I mean, you know, it, it came down, and, and to me – if you listen to me these past few weeks, it's no surprise what Roger Goodell and the league did. It's no surprise that the league decided that, you know, they were going to suspend Roger, uh, Adrian Peterson for the rest of the season because you know why? They messed up with Ray Rice, and they figured, you know what? We have to save face at this point. So in order for us to save faith, face, in order for us to, to you know, have the the leagues, have the public be in good graces with us again, we had to come down hard on Adrian Peterson. We had to come down hard on Adrian Peterson. And one of the ways to come down hard on Adrian Peterson is this, suspend him for the rest of the season. 
Let's come down hard on Adrian Peterson. And here's the thing. My personal opinion, I thought it should have been time served. Meaning, you know, all the games that he missed, where he was on the exempt list, though he was getting paid, he was still getting paid, he just wasn't playing. I thought that should have been time served. And at that point, moving forward, I thought once the case was adjudicated, I thought now, you know, the, the league should give this, say it was time served, let him come back and let him play. But I'm also realistic, and I'm also a realist. So being realistic and being a realist, I knew that there was no way that Adrian Peterson was playing again this season. I knew that the league, Roger Goodell, and everybody else associated with the NFL did not want to talk about this story no longer, at least this season. They wanted this whole thing to go away. And by suspending him for the rest of the season, though he can appeal, and his appeal will be heard on December 2nd. His appeal will be heard on December 2nd. So we'll see what happens there. But I just knew Roger Goodell was going to come down on Adrian Peterson. And I just knew Roger Goodell was not going to let him play this season. At least if he has the power, Adrian Peterson will not play this season. And he does on some level, but he will not hear the appeal. So we'll see what happens there. But here's, to me, you know, and I know Adrian Peterson has come out now and says that, you know, he'll never use a switch uh, to, to discipline his children. And, and here's the thing with that. You know, the issue for me is not necessarily the switch. The issue for me is using the switch on a four-year-old. I mean, that was the issue to me. I mean, a, a common sense would tell you that you don't hit a four-year-old with a switch. You don't hit a four-year-old with a switch. That's common sense. That's common sense. At least I thought it was. And I, and I said when the story came out, I understand if the child was 10, 11 years old and you used a switch. Then to me it becomes a little more understandable because the reality is there are a lot of parents here in America who use a switch or a belt or something of that nature. They use it. And I'm one of these guys who believes in it. I, I believe in, in disciplining your children with force. I'm not saying switch. I'm not saying using a switch on a four-year-old, but a little pat on the butt every so often. Never hurt anybody. And I'm, I'm a firm believer in spare the rod, spoil the child. But what Adrian Peterson did wasn't that. I mean, that, that was an extreme case. That that was something that I could never support. That was something that I could never say was acceptable. Never. I could never say that was acceptable because it's not. It's unacceptable. Unacceptable. What happened with Adrian Peterson? Unacceptable. No excuse. I can't defend the behavior. Do I think he did it out of love? Of course. I I, I don't think... It was any kind of, uh, you know, I don't think it was malice. I don't think he was malicious in, in what he did. I, I just think he felt that was the proper way to discipline a child. That's what he felt. But here's the thing that's troubling to me. Roger Goodell's statement about Adrian Peterson and why he decided to suspend Adrian Peterson. Quote, you have shown no meaningful remorse 
for your conduct. When indicted, you acknowledge what you did, but said that you would not eliminate whooping my kids. And here's where I, I'm going to stop right there. To me, Roger Goodell, on, on some level, is saying that it's that you can't whip your children. That that's what that statement says to me. You can't whip your children. <laughs> and you know who is the NFL to determine how you discipline a child unless you're doing something against the law. Unless you're doing something that's extreme, and what Adrian Peterson did was truly extreme. It was. Unless you're doing something that's extreme, then, you know, corporal punishment to me on, on a child is, is not an issue. The issue is, and the issue with Adrian Peterson is, A, the kid was only four years old, and you're beating a kid who was four years old with a switch. That can never, ever be acceptable. No one can, can call that acceptable. No one. And I, I, no, in no way, shape, or form is that acceptable. It's not. But as far as I'm concerned, Roger Goodell, in that statement, that statement tells me that, hey, you know, you can't, you can't, Beat your child if you're in the NFL. That's what that statement says to me. That that's what that statement says to me. And and Roger Goodell went on to say it. You know, we we ended up at eliminate whooping my kids and defended your conduct in numerous published text messages to your child's mother. You also said that you felt very confident with my actions because I know my intent. These comments raised a serious concern that you do not fully appreciate the seriousness of your conduct, or even worse, that you may feel free to engage in similar conduct in the future. I guess beating your kids, spanking your kids, disciplining your children with physical force is something that Roger Goodell deems as unacceptable. And to me, it's unacceptable for him to say these things, the statement to me, is unacceptable. It's unacceptable. It really is. And I think, again, obviously what Adrian Peterson did was wrong. And it was wrong. And I can't defend it on any level. But to me, you know, intent is very important. And his intent, to me, wasn't to, to, to hurt the child in the way that he hurt him. To me, his intent was to discipline the child. And, you know, I guess hopefully moving forward, hopefully moving forward, Adrian Peterson, um, you know, it's six kids, six different women. It becomes very difficult to be the father that you want to be. It it does. It, It becomes very difficult to be the father that you want to be. It does. I mean, it, it comes. It becomes difficult. It very becomes difficult, and and to me, you know, when you're doing these things, and and when you're having kids by this one and that one, and you know, all these different women, you can't be the father that you want to be. You can't. 
So in, in some respect, it's almost in your best interest, being that you don't spend the type of time with the children that you wish you could. I think it might be in your best interest. You know, maybe it's your best interest not to be to children from this standpoint because you're not with the children all the time. And because you're not with the children all the time, you know, the relationship is different. The time that you spend with the child is different. And it's it's unfortunate. It, it truly is an unfortunate situation. It really is. And I just hope that Adrian Peterson just learns from this situation. I, I just hope that, you know, he says he's getting counseling and, you know, he's he's getting also getting some counseling from his pastor, from a pastor as well. So I just hope moving forward that he will become a better father. And, and I just hope moving forward that he will have the common sense to know you can't use a switch with a four-year-old. But I, I, I think it's unfair the way Adrian Peterson is being treated by the NFL. I'm not surprised by it. In some respect, I understand it. I, I most definitely understand it. But at the same time, at the same time, I just don't think it's fair and I just don't think it's right. But we'll see Adrian Peterson's appeal. will be heard December 2nd. And also, Adrian Peterson, like we said, says he's getting the help that he needs to become a better father moving forward. So hopefully, at the end of the day, from this whole situation, this whole situation, hopefully Adrian Peterson does become the father that he desires to be. Hopefully Adrian Peterson becomes the man that he desires to be. And, and I think that's my hope, and I think that should be the hope for everybody, for Adrian Peterson moving forward. But he's got to do better. He's got to do better. And I think now on some level, and, and, and here's the thing, sometimes when you know better, you do better. And maybe Adrian Peterson truly didn't know better, and because he didn't truly know better, he didn't do better. And I think that could be the reality of this situation as well. But we'll see what happens with Adrian Peterson. We'll see what happens with this story moving forward. And I don't think we'll see Adrian Peterson again this season, just a hunch, but we'll see. I don't think we will. And we may not see him in Minnesota again as well. And some could argue that may not be a bad thing for Adrian Peterson moving forward. And maybe a change of scenery would do him so good, some good. And, and help him in terms of going to a new city. And, and, you know, maybe the perception will change. And here's the thing also with, with uh, these type of situations. Time has a way of healing all things and, and a lot of things. I can't say all things, but, you know, time has a way of, of healing things. And, and time has a way of making people forget what actually happened. It really does. So you hope that for Adrian Peters, I mean, he lost some endorsement, he lost endorsement deals. I mean, he's losing money on some level. You know, Nike is pulled out. You know, so you're losing money. This has cost him money. This has cost him his reputation on some level. And now he's in the process of rebuilding his reputation. It can be done. Michael Vick has rebuilt his reputation. You know, reputations can be rebuilt. It can happen. I mean, and it's hopefully for his sake he can do that moving forward. But we shall See, 
let's switch gears now. Let's go. Let's stay in football, actually. But let's all, let's talk about what we saw last night. The Raiders finally, finally got a victory last night. They beat the Kansas City Chiefs in Oakland. Finally, finally. And you saw the way the Raiders were celebrating. You thought either it was 1999 or you thought the Raiders had just won the Super Bowl. I mean, that's the way they conduct, that's the way they act uh, last night. I mean, they were jumping around, celebrating, Derek Carr running around and, and then celebrating. And, you know, no one wants to lose every game. And, and you know, just that, like it's hard to win every game, it's pretty hard to lose every game as well. I mean, you've got to be a very, very bad football team. And that Lions team from a few years back was a very, very bad football team. And this Raiders team isn't much better. Really, not, they're really not. But anyway. The Raiders last night got the victory. And, you know, you saw the end of that game where Slow Moore gets the sack on, on Alex Smith, and he's celebrating. And knowing that, you know, he got caught up, first of all, obviously. He got caught up in the in, in the, the mayhem, if you will. And, you know, he got caught up in, in enjoying and celebrating his sack. But it, it went, while doing that, you know, the Chiefs were still in a heavy hurry-up offense. They still were hurrying up and trying to get to the line. And, and so, luckily, veterans on that ball club, like a Justin Tuck, called a timeout, let the Raiders regroup, and ultimately the Raiders would stop the Chiefs on fourth down, and ultimately the Raiders would get their first victory. It's going to be a tough loss for the Kansas City Chiefs because a week from now, you got the Denver Broncos. And, and so, with that being said, and you and the Broncos are battling for that top spot in the AFC West. That's a tough loss. You can't go to Oakland and lose to the 0-10 Raiders. You can't do it. It's just unacceptable. It really is. You can't go to 0-10 Oakland and lose a football game that you really need. I mean, they, they really needed that football game, the Kansas City Chiefs. They really needed to win that game to keep pace with the Denver Broncos. They needed that game. They needed it. And they had been playing some pretty good football up to that point. They needed that game, and they let it – I mean, you thought, first of all, they got down early, and then they came back, and you thought after the Chiefs came back and took the lead that that would be enough and that the Raiders would ultimately fold and ultimately the Chiefs would take it over and ultimately the Chiefs would win the game. That's what you thought. That was my thought process. I thought after Kansas City got the lead that it was over. And that Kansas City would win the football game and they would hold on and get the W. That's what I thought. But the Raiders, and give the Raiders credit. Give the Raiders credit. I mean, they came back and, you know, Derek Carr led a big-time drive and put his team in position to get the W. I mean, Kansas City, to this point, had won five in a row. Got off to a slow start, but picked their game up. And beaten, you know, Seattle beat some decent, beat San Diego, beat some bad football teams as well. But they won five in a row and were playing some pretty good football at that point. They really were coming into this football game. But when you are 7-3 and three and you are battling for the top spot in the AFC West against a very good Denver Broncos football team, well, you got to get that W. you got to get it done. And – the Chiefs didn't get it done. 
And, you know, that's that's going to be – that may be a game that they look back on and say, you know what, we let that slip away. And because we let that slip away, that really, really affected our season. They may look back on this one and then really, really regret how they played. They really may. Because the reality is you can't lose, you can't lose to the Oakland Raiders, an 0-10 Oakland Raiders football team, a bad Raiders football team. I mean, what was it, that third down, I believe, third down of that play where the Raiders, what was it, fourth down maybe, I don't know, third or fourth down. Raiders had three penalties on them, three penalties on one football team, three different infractions. By the Raiders on one play. That's the stuff that bad football teams are made of. It really, I mean, it really is. That's the stuff that bad football teams are made of. And the Oakland Raiders, I mean, you're in position to close out a game and you have three penalties on called on you in one play. Three infractions on one play. you got to work pretty hard to do something like that. But anyway, they got the W, and again they celebrated like it was it was it was it was almost ridiculous on some level. I mean, you're you're celebrating like you know you won a championship, and I know that was their Super Bowl. I mean, I, I, we all know that was their Super Bowl, and the funny thing is, uh, Charles Woodson, the veteran, a guy who's won a Super Bowl with the Green Bay Packers. A guy who's you know probably a Hall of Famer. He's all probably he's probably a Hall of he's a Hall of Famer. He's going to be a Hall of Famer. I mean, he called the celebration ridiculous. He called the celebration ridiculous. Quote: Charles Woodson said, "I couldn't believe it. That was the first time I had ever seen somebody celebrate for a whole forty-second clock. That was ridiculous, and they know it. I told Slow." He's lucky we got the win because we really probably would have would have had to fight. And what I've, I and I would have seen exactly what kind of fighter he is. So you know Charles Woodson would have seen the type of fighter Slow Moore is. Charles Woodson was ready to fight Slow Moore if that didn't work out. Slow Moore said he got caught up in the moment. He got caught up in the moment, and that was an error on his part. He did get caught up in the moment. And, you know, you can't get caught up in that particular situation. But here's the reality of it. You know, sometimes they say act like you've been there before. But if you're the Raiders, you haven't been to this position before. You haven't been in this position before, at least in 2014 you haven't. You haven't been in that position before to, to even be in a, to close out a football game. You haven't been in that position. You're a bad football team. You're so – Slow Moore needs to act like he's been there. He's been there before, but quite frankly, he really hasn't been there before this season. It's been a long time since the Raiders got a W. A long, long time. But it's just unacceptable in terms of the Chiefs. It's unacceptable in terms in terms of the Chiefs lose the Chiefs losing. That's unacceptable. And it's also unacceptable what we saw out of Slow Moore. I mean, Slow Moore. He went all the way down the field and started celebrating. I mean, seriously slow? Seriously slow. You don't know what's at stake, man? 
Come on. You better than that. You better than that, Slow. But anyway, kudos to the Raiders. They finally get off the schneid. Finally get a win. Finally. And again, they celebrated like it was 19. 19.99 they did. And here's a, a funny stat. A funny stat. And a crazy stat. The rest of the league, and here's the stat. The history of the NFL. The rest of the NFL is 37-16 versus teams who are 0-10 or worse. The Chiefs have lost five times to teams that, that have been 0-10 or worse. That's a crazy stat. So I guess on some level we really shouldn't be surprised that the Chiefs were the team that lost to the Raiders because they have a history of this. That's a crazy stat. That's a crazy stat to say the least. But anyway, <laughs> the Chiefs lose to the Raiders. The Raiders get the victory. And now the Raiders, again, are celebrating in off just nine. But <laughs> that's a crazy stat. You, you couldn't make that up. I mean, and you couldn't make something like that. that. That's crazy. That's crazy. Crazy. But anyway, as we go on throughout the course of this show, we're going to get into Pacquiao-Algeri. That's a big fight that's happening this weekend in China, Macau, China. And that's going to be interesting. And, you know, we've been hearing the rumblings. We've been hearing the talk that maybe if Pacquiao wins this fight, that maybe finally we'll get to see Mayweather-Pacquiao somewhere down the line, maybe next year in 2015. Again, it's one of those things that you'll believe when you actually see it. But we'll talk about that fight. It should be an interesting fight, Algeria-Pacquiao. And, um, you know, but uh, – Here's the thing. If there's a possibility of Algeria, I mean, excuse me, a possibility of Pacquiao Mayweather fighting, well, then I hope Pacquiao wins, and I hope he wins in convincing, dominating fashion. Maybe not, because if he does win in convincing, dominating fashion, maybe Floyd may be a little leery of facing him. Maybe. But I hope the fight happens, and the pressure is on. The pressure is truly on for this fight to happen. It's on. And so we'll see if it actually does happen sometime next season. I'd be excited, man. I, I really would. Let's go to Seattle now and peace mode, Marshawn Lynch, and, you know, all the issues that he's having in Seattle. And, you know, my thing with Marshawn Lynch, you know, he got fined underground for not talking to the media again. I mean, it's 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 crazy when it comes to Marshawn Lynch and, and, and Beast Mode. And, you know, you, you got to – I mean, I understand you don't like to talk to the media. I, I get that. But, you know, it, it's a part of your job. You know, it, it's a part of your job. It may not be a fun part of the job, but it is a part of your job. It, it's a part of your job description. So I, I get it. I understand it. But – you know, Marshawn Lynch, you got to do better, man. I mean, come on, man. You can't not talk to the media. It's costing you money. If it's costing you money, that's not 
a good situation. So hopefully Marshawn will learn from that, and hopefully it won't happen again for Beast Mode Marshawn Lynch. We'll get back to that in a moment. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It. Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your, nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist, <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all. That's not Robbie. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. Talking sports, having fun doing it. You're listening to Go For It, blogtalkradio.com. This is what we do. We talk sports. We have fun doing it. I'm going to get back to Marshawn Lynch for a moment now. I mean, uh, to me, here's the thing when it comes to Marshawn Lynch. Your job on some level, it's not probably a good part of your job, it's obviously a part of the job that you hate and don't like, but the part of your job is to talk to the media. Part of your job is to do that. And here's the thing. I don't know if this guy has some kind of social anxiety disorder. I don't know if he has an issue with that. But the thing is this. He won't talk for whatever reason. He has a problem talking. And and to me, you know, Part of play, I, I know you want to play football, and that's what you do. And you do it very well. You want to play football. That's what you do. You want to run the ball. That's what you do. You want to make plays. That's what you do. That's what you want to do. That's exactly what you want to do. And, and, and so, I, and I get that, man. But you know what? You have an obligation as a player in the National Football League. You have an obligation to speak to the media. You got to do it, man. And, you know, if you do have some kind of social anxiety situation, if that's what you got, then you need to take some kind of medication. You need to do something because it's costing you money. A hundred grand to be exact. I mean, that's costing you money. You're messing with your money, man. And, you know, I don't know. I, you know, you got a lot of money. You, you got a big time contract, five years, thirty-one million. You're making decent money, but you know, tax man has to get half of that. And you know, so the the reality is, you know, a hundred thousand dollars is a hundred thousand dollars. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And so, to me, if you're more Sean Lynch. You got to work on that. You got to work on that. You got to work on that. And and you got to do something about it. You got to, man. Because you can't continue to it, it's stupid to lose 100 grand because you don't want to talk. It's stupid. It's stupid. And I'm not saying that he has to 
you know, talk for a long period of time. He doesn't. You know, I'm, I'm not saying he has to, to give long answers. He doesn't. Say what you got to say and get out of there. Because if you're not going to say much, they're not going to stick around anyway. If you're not going to say much, if you're not going to say much, the media is going to get out, get up out of there. That's what they're going to do. That's what they're going to do. So it doesn't make sense for you, Marshawn, to not to talk to the media. That that doesn't make sense, man. You got to figure something out. And, and maybe it's just him being stubborn. Because that's, that's the only thing I could say. I mean, other than maybe him. I remember this. Remember Ricky Williams? When Ricky Williams used to do interviews with his helmet on. And he used to do all these interviews with his helmet on. Well, it, it comes to turn. We, we find out later that he had some issues with social anxiety. So it made sense after a while. It made sense. He had issues with social anxiety, so he wore the helmet. To help him get through interviews. It made sense. Marshawn Lynch, this doesn't really make much sense. And you're not giving us an, an, an answer or reason why you're doing this. It can't be because I don't like to talk. It, it can't be. And so, I mean, it, it, it's something that Beast Mode, Marshawn Lynch, needs to figure out. He needs to figure it out because he's costing himself money. Let's switch gears now. We have, last week, the, the St. Louis Rams beat up on the Denver Broncos. And we're going to bring in a guy now who was a big part of that victory for the St. Louis Rams. I mean, it, you never know. The NFL, anything can happen, and it's any given Sunday sometimes. And, 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 and that's what... We saw any given Sunday, anything can happen. I mean, who knew that the St. Louis Rams could limit the Denver Broncos to seven points? Who knew that was possible? And the St. Louis Rams had a big-time performance, a big-time performance against the Denver Broncos. They stepped up and played some big-time football. And you look at the Rams' record over – these over, you know, the four and six, but they played the who's who's in the National Football League and played some very, very tough football teams, very tough football teams, and still are four and six and easily, easily could be a 500 football team, easily. Let's bring him in now, tackle for the St. Louis Rams, Joe Barksdale. Joe, how are you, man? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Doing well. Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me. Joe, let's get right down to it. I mean, no one outside of your locker room gave you guys a shot against the Denver Broncos, but you guys went out, played big-time football, and won 22-7. to Talk about your performance on Sunday, your team's performance. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, it, it came down to, you know, little things like execution, you know, attention to details and those kinds of things, and you know, the fact that we were able to get those things done, um, you know, consistently throughout the game was definitely one of the main reasons, one of the main things that helped us out. Now, let me ask you this. I mean, like I said before, no one gave you guys a shot in this particular football game. Did that give you guys a little extra motivation? Um, I say yes and no. Uh, it motivates you. You know, anytime no one believes in you, it's going to motivate you. 
But at the same time, you know, we know at the end of the day, um, you know, all we have is, you know, the guys in the locker room, all we have is each other. And, um, you know, that, uh, you know, and knowing that, you know, whether people thought we were going to win or, you know, uh, didn't think we were going to win, we were going to go out there and play for each other at the end of the day, just like we do every week. Now, during the week as you guys prepare for the Broncos, did you guys see things that you possibly could take advantage of and exploit during that particular game? Um, I want to say not necessarily. I mean, of course, as an offense, you know, you see things that you want to attack and things like that. But, you know, when we looked at the film going into that game, we saw very, you know, sound defense that was good against both the run and the pass. Okay. We're talking to Rams offensive tackle Joe Barkstone. Joe, let's talk about the defense. I mean, you limited Peyton Manning and the Broncos to seven points. You intercepted him twice. I mean, your defense played big time. I mean, no one holds this Denver Broncos offense down. I mean, this is a very prolific offense. Talk about what you saw out of your Rams defense. Um, I saw a lot of hard hitting, for one. Uh, guys definitely, you know, bought the wood to the uh, uh, Broncos offense <laughs> yesterday or Sunday. Um, for sure. I also saw a lot of guys, you know, 11 guys on the field that were excited to get out there and compete. And I think that um, – you know, that tenacity and just that competitive edge that the defense came to play with definitely uh, helped them out, of, you know, near the end of the game. And they definitely were up for the challenge of Peyton Manning, played some big-time football. Let's talk about your quarterback now, Sean Hill. He played a clean game, over 200 yards passing, had a touchdown. Again, no turnovers. Talk about the performance of Sean Hill. Um, well, I guess, you know, that's, I guess the first one is the big key stat, you know, no, no turnovers. As a team, we're uh, two and zero when we don't give the ball over, um, and not giving that team, you know, not giving Peyton Manning and the Denver Broncos offense extra possessions really helped us out. For sure, you guys again, your your offense played that clean game, and like you said, you didn't you didn't give Peyton Manning extra possessions. We're talking to Rams offensive tackle Joe Barksdale. Joe, a contract year for you, man. I mean, that's always a big year. For anybody, you've been having a pretty good season. You only gave up two sacks to this point. I mean, you're having a big-time season. Talk about your play thus far in 2014. Um, I feel like I can always get better. Uh, I've felt the same way since I've been playing football, and that's kind of what I'm focused on, you know, just getting better the next week and continuing to improve and not get comfortable. Let me ask you this. I mean, did you have any extra motivation? I mean, it's a contract year. Were you a little extra motivated knowing that if you have a big-time season, there's always a possibility that you could get paid? Um, well, I get paid to play now. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Say as, more. As far as, <laughs> as, far as the uh, contract year uh, goes and all that, man, I'm um, – I really just came into this season, you know, focused on trying to be the you know best player I could be, and um, you know I let the chips fall where they may at the end of the year. Now I've been looking at the Rams' schedule since Week Three: Dallas, Philadelphia, San Francisco, Seattle, Kansas City, San Francisco again, Arizona, Denver. I mean, that's a big time schedule. You guys have played the who's who's in the National Football League. I mean, those teams have had a combined record of 47 and 21. Talk about your schedule to this point. I mean, it's been rough. Um, I guess the simplest way I can put it is, you know, um, if you want to be the man, you got to beat the man. 
And, um, you know, what what better way to test yourself than, you know, top-notch competition week in and week out? Now, I mean, you know, just looking at how you guys, I mean, you guys beating some good teams. You beat San Francisco, you beat Denver, you beat Seattle. What's that say about you guys moving forward? What's it say about this program in uh, St. Louis? Um, it's a, you know, it definitely proves that we, you know, have the ability Um and you know it shows you know it showcases the talent that the team has, and you know kind of you know um you know displays the potential of uh, displays the potential of the team and you know shows where we could be and things like that but uh sure. at the end of the day, you know we're working on trying to do that consistently because you know one or two games here or there isn't gonna cut it for us and I'm just again looking at your schedule and looking at some of the games i mean you know. If the ball bounces a few different ways, you guys could easily be a 500 football team. And just looking at your schedule, that would be a big time accomplishment. I mean, Philadelphia, you, you know, you had a situation there. You could have won that football game. Dallas, you were up early. Uh, you know, so you guys were in some football games and really could have could easily be a 500 football team. Just looking at your schedule and looking at the way some of the games has shook out. We're talking to Rams offensive tackle Joe Barksdale, and Joe, you got another tough. Another tough team this week, the San Diego Chargers. You guys go out to San Diego. How do you guys keep the momentum going into San Diego? Um, by doing the same things that we did last week leading up to the game and then, um, you know, duplicating the same performance that we had in the game as far as, you know, te- uh, technique and, you know, minor details are concerned. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, it's still football. And, you know, while there are, you know, while there are good players and good teams in the NFL, at the end of the day, every NFL team is a good team. You know, every um, every NFL player is getting paid to do what they do, which means they must be pretty good at it. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to, you know, execution and, you know, turnover ratios and, you know, little details. And, and like you said, if if you guys protect the football, more often than not, you win. You're 2-0 when you don't turn the ball over. So, again, if you can protect right. the football, you always have an opportunity. You always have a chance to win in the National Football League. i got to ask you this, Joe. You're doing big things on the football field, but you're also doing big things in the community with the Uplift 72 Foundation. Tell us about it. Um, it's pretty much a, it's a uh, – we actually just got 501c3 status a couple weeks ago. Um, and we're uh, currently working on narrowing the focus now right now. But in the past, we've pretty much been focused on inner city and underprivileged kids, providing uh, mentorship programs as well as other things like symposiums and uh, tutoring events to kind of, you know, help kids that are either on the verge of leaving middle school, going to high school, or on the verge of leaving high school, going to college. Just kind of trying to instill in them, you know, some of the things that they might need to, um, or some of the information that they would need to uh, be successful during that transition. Now, where can people find information about some of the great things going on with the foundation? We have a website, which is currently under construction, but um, okay. I'm, I believe it's uplift72.org. But like I said, it's, cur- it's currently under construction on the 501c3 status. It's going to stated and all that. Okay. i got to ask you this. March fifteenth, two 2015, what does that date mean to Joe Barksdale? It'll be the first day that I'm a married man. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I got a uh, I got a wedding coming up March 14th, and I guess that's one of the other reasons I'm not really concerned about the you know whole contract season. There's a you know there's a life changing event that's gonna happen. So. For sure. And, um, for sure. Now that I am happy about, you know, I'm excited. I'm, I am looking forward and excited to thinking about that all the time. Maybe that's just keeping my mind off of everything else. <laughs> and I guess I had the date mixed up. It is March 14th, so I'm glad you corrected me. And I'm sure your future wife is glad that you corrected me as well. I mean, that's going to be a special day for you, man. I mean, you, you got to be super excited about it, man. March 15th. Excuse me, March 14th. 2015, a big day for Joe Barksdale, man. And I was on the, I was trolling around, and, and I saw your wedding website, and you know, I, I was, you know, looking on there and everything. Maybe you have a gift coming from me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, that'd be pretty cool. But um, I actually thought you were going to bring up those small dogs. That's what most people saw I didn't, on their, I didn't look the website. <laughs> I actually was paying attention to the song. The song caught me. I mean, is that that's the song, you guys? Is that your song? Uh, well, it's, I mean, it's, our song is actually Overjoyed by Stevie Wonder. But I felt okay. like, um, I don't know, I've always loved that song, too. So um, I'm a big Lauryn Hill fan, even though she only dropped one album. But um, I love that song, so. For sure. I mean, it's definitely a big-time song, and, uh, it's probably going to be a big time wedding. Can't wait to get my invite so I can head out there March 14th and <laughs> celebrate with the Barksdales. I mean, it should be very, very exciting. Joe, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with Joe Barksdale on Twitter? Um, it's Bazooka Joe 72. Bazooka Joe, just like the Bubblegum character, for the people that are old enough to know about him. Um, okay. Yeah, that's my Twitter handle. So, fans. Make sure you support all the great things going on with Joe Barksdale. Hit him up on Twitter at BazookaJoe72 and support all the great things going on with Joe Barksdale. Joe, pleasure talking to you, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck with the season, and more importantly, nothing but the best of luck with your upcoming wedding, man. Let's do this again. Thank you, man, definitely. Joe Barksdale, offensive lineman, St. Louis Rams. And, again, the St. Louis Rams, what an impressive performance last week. And, you know, you just look at this football team, and and they have put themselves in position, you know, even against – I talked about it, both the Cowboys and the the Philadelphia Eagle game. Easily, St. Louis could have easily, easily won those games. I mean, Brian Quick drops the football – Against the Philadelphia Eagles, would have, that would have put the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, excuse me, the St. Louis Rams in a good position to ultimately win that game. And then, you know, they were up early against Dallas, and they let that slip away as well. But easily, they could be a, a, a 500 to uh, above 500 football team, and that's what the uh, record, I mean, a hellish schedule, I mean, a big time schedule. And, and they found a way to navigate it, they found a way to get through it. One thank Joe Barksdale for stopping by. Um, I want to go to the NBA now, and I, I want to talk about Eric Bledsoe and what he said. Eric Bledsoe says that he feels that this Kentucky team could beat the 2014 0 and 10 Philadelphia 76ers, 
and you know that that in itself is is disrespectful on on all levels. That's very disrespectful on all levels, and you know especially if you're the Sixers, that that's disrespectful. I mean, you you can't you can't take that. And now he's saying that he was only joking. Eric Bledsoe said he was only joking about it. But, you know, he said it. He said that he believes that the Kentucky Wildcats, this year's Kentucky Wildcat basketball team could beat the 2014 Philadelphia 76ers in a, football, in a basketball game. He said that. First of all, let's be clear. There's no college basketball team that can beat an NBA basketball team. I, I don't believe it could happen. I really don't. But also, this goes to maybe a larger issue, and that is the Philadelphia 76ers and tanking. I mean, obviously, the Philadelphia 76ers last season, they were not built to win many games. And this season, they're not built to win many games. They're just not. And, and so Sam Hinkie and the Philadelphia 76ers organization – their goal at this point in time is to lose as much as possible. So, I mean, to me, whatever happens, I mean, they got blown out by Dallas last week. Okay, they were okay with that. That's what they wanted to happen. You know, they got beat up by Houston. Well, Houston just beat them narrowly last week, last Friday it was. But, again, that's what they want to happen. That's what they want to happen. They're okay with it. And to me, you know, it is what it is because the NBA system, the way it's set up, it's almost like you have to get very bad to get very good. You got to get very bad to get very good. And that's what the Sixers are doing. They're getting they're very bad to be very good, hopefully. Hopefully. But Eric Bledsoe, for him to say that, it's it's to me, you know, you can't, and John Calipari said it. He tweeted it out. You know, he said, he said if we played any NBA team, we would get buried, any. And and I agree with that. I mean, that, that to me, you know, I, I don't see any way, shape, or form that the Kentucky Wildcats, this version of Kentucky, could beat the Philadelphia Eagles. Not the Eagles, Philadelphia 76ers. No way. And it's funny. It's ironic, I guess, on some level. The Eagle, the Sixers and the uh, 76ers are playing right now in Philadelphia. Phoenix is up by 13 in the second quarter. So, I mean, you thought maybe the Sixers would have a little extra motivation after, you know, age, uh, after Eric Bledsoe's comments, but they don't have any type it's a bad basketball team. It's a bad basketball team. There's just no other way to put it. And we talked about this last week, but I'm going to go through the Sixers schedule again and see if I can find a victory. For any Philadelphia 76ers fan out there, like myself, I'm going to see if I can find a victory for it, for us. I'm going to see if I can find a victory. I thought maybe Boston would be the time that we, we would get the victory. I thought Boston might be the time. But it didn't happen. Well, we got Phoenix. Tonight, we're down by 13. 76ers are down by 13. And, and and so, I think they'll win that basketball game, but we'll see There's a lot of basketball to be played. But they have the Knicks tomorrow in New York, and the Knicks 
aren't world beaters, but it is in New York, and the Knicks, quite frankly, have more talent than the Philadelphia 76ers, but you can say that about any basketball team in the NBA. They have more talent than the Philadelphia 76ers, but they have the Knicks in New York. I don't think they'll win that. And then they have a three-game, four-game homestand, Portland, Brooklyn, Dallas, and San Antonio. Four games at home, maybe, maybe they can steal one of those, maybe. But it's a good chance that this team, when it's all said and done, they're 0-11 right now and could be 0-12 after after tonight. But I'm just looking at their schedule. At Minnesota is going to be a tough – I mean, this is a bad basketball team. Oklahoma City might be it especially if Durant and Westbrook are not out or are still out. Oklahoma City might be the time that the Philadelphia 76ers win. Mark your calendars. December 5th, Friday, December 5th. Mark your calendars. And the Philadelphia 76ers have OKC. Oklahoma City, a team that does not have its two best players. That might be the day. That might be the day where the Philadelphia 76ers finally win. That might be the day that they finally win. It's, I mean, I guess it's embarrassing for the NBA. It it is embarrassing, but it's been done before. But I don't know if it's, I mean, this, you know, Boston was pretty, it was kind of obvious, but I don't know if this, this, this might take the cake. This is pretty, pretty obvious. This is pretty obvious. There's no doubt about it. This is pretty obvious. But we'll see what happens. And, you know, hopefully, hopefully, for Philadelphia fans out there, hopefully it'll get better. Kobe Bryant had some interesting comments when he talks about discount deals, hometown discount deals. And he's talking about you know, it's popular that for players to take less. And we've seen it. I mean, Tim Duncan and Dirk Nowitzki. I mean, Dirk Nowitzki took $25 million over three years. $25 million over three years. You know, that that's a ridiculous amount of money for a guy as good as Dirk Nowitzki. He should get much, much more. I mean, what, Jordan Hill got two years, $18 million. Just put that in perspective. Put that in perspective. Jordan Hill, Dirk Nowitzki. No comparison. No comparison at all. It's not. But Kobe says, I'm not going for it. I'm not going for it. And Kobe wasn't going for it when he decided that, you know what? Give me my money. Two years. 48 million. Give me my money. I don't care what it does to my cap. I don't care on some respect if I can't get stars around me. Give me my money. And you heard LeBron James chirping a little bit about wanting to get his money and wanting, you know, wanting to end those max contracts if you will. And I don't blame him. I mean because you know LeBron James is probably a 300 million dollar player if there was no cap on salaries. 
He's probably a $300 million player. Kevin Durant, probably a $300 million player if there's no cap on salaries in years. And, you know, if you're the NBA owners, obviously, you know, you put a, you have a system in place that penalizes guys for, for taking as much money as possible. I mean, it, it, on some level, Kobe, though he has his money, has been penalized because the Lakers aren't able to surround him with the necessary components that it takes to, win a winning, to be a winning basketball team. The Lakers are a bad basketball team. I know they've been playing uh, better of late, but they're a bad basketball team. And if you're the Lakers, you don't want to play too good because if you do, if you get out of that fifth pick, guess what? It's going to Phoenix. So one through five is protected. So if if the Lakers and the, the lottery balls and they bounce around and the Lakers get the sixth pick in the NBA draft, that pick will be shipped to Phoenix in the Steve Nash because of the Steve Nash deal. So if you're the Lakers, you want to go the other way. You want to do what the Sixers are doing. That's what you want to do. You want to do what the Sixers are doing. But you look at the Lakers, you look at Kobe Bryant, and I understand it. I understand it, man. I mean, the reality is people can talk, oh, you play to win and get championships and all that other good stuff. But you also play to make money. You also play to make as much money as possible. You also play so generations of Bryants won't really have to work again. I mean, that, 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 you play for that too. That's what you play for as well. And quite frankly, if you really think about it, winning a championship is great, but getting the money is probably even better, I would think. Obviously, you want the best of both worlds, and you could argue that Kobe has had the best of both worlds, five titles and a boatload of money. So I don't blame any player for, you know, I don't blame any player for for wanting to get as much money as possible because you only have a short time to do it. So I don't blame any player for getting paid. Actually, I applaud you for getting paid. That's what I do. I applaud you. I'll shake your hand. But I also understand the Dirk Nowitzki route. I also understand the Tim Duncan route. I understand that route because because of those guys and, and, and them not taking the max money, those teams are able to build – around those guys, and, and, and you're able to build around Tim Duncan and, and keep Ginobili and, and Parker and those guys and, you know, add various pieces along the way. In Dallas, you're able to bring in guys, uh, you know, Tyson Chandler. You're able to bring him in. You're in, able to bring in a Chandler Parsons. You're able to bring in those type of guys to, to help you continue to win or, or try to win. And Dallas is off to a 93 start. So, Dirk Nowitzki, yes, he may have uh, taken money, less money than he should have. His contract is way below market value, but in return, he's still playing competitive basketball and is in competitive situations with an opportunity. I'm not saying – I mean, the Mavericks are a good basketball team, and I could see them being there in terms of 
you know, getting to the NBA Finals and winning a title. I can see it. So obviously the Spurs are going to be there. Obviously. But Dirk Nowitzki says, you know what? I made a boatload of money. Two hundred over two hundred million dollars in my career. So I mean, I, I I can't spend it all. I can't spend it all. So I might as well make my situation as happy as possible. I I, I might as well make my situation the best it can be. Might as well. I might as well. Why not? So I get both sides of it. I really do. But if I'm if, if if it was me, you know, I, I guess it, it, to me, you know, in, in a lot of ways, in a funny way, in, in some respect, it becomes money over happiness, and and you know, and, and happiness from this standpoint, from this standpoint, you know, if you're not winning, obviously, it's going to be difficult for you to get up and go to the gym each and every morning go to practice and everything, go play basketball games, knowing that you really don't have a shot to win. But you're still getting paid and you're getting your money, and I guess that helps at the end of the day. They say money can't make you happy. They say money doesn't make you happy. And, you know, judging by some of the stories we're hearing, Ryan Howard and his situation with his family, and, you know, we, judging by some of the stories that we hear, you can understand why some people would say that thing, why some people would believe that money doesn't buy happiness. You can understand that point of view. But at the same time, at the same time, while it can't buy you happiness, you know, it it don't hurt to have money. And that's the bottom line. Second hour of Go For It, starting right now. Almeida, a.k.a. Corey Live, host of Picturica on the Hub and warm-up host for American Idol and Dancing with the Stars. And right now, you are listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio with my man Paulie G and Jeremy. Get it! Thank you, Corey Live. We're back. Second hour of Go For It, starting right now. In this hour, we're going to be joined by former Florida State star and now track star Marvin Bracey and Marvin decided, you know what, I wanted to turn pro. I wanted to run track, and, and he's doing some big-time things in the track and field world. So we're going to talk to Marvin about that, some of the big-time things that he's doing. Talk to him about whether or not, you know what, does he does he miss football sometimes? Does he wish he could go out there and, and, and you know, catch a pass and, and run down the field for a bunch of yards? Does he miss football? But we're definitely going to talk to Marvin Bracey about that, and and also get his thoughts on on Jameis Winston in Florida State, and you know how he sees Florida State at this point in time. Florida State, you know, getting by uh, by the skin of their chinny chin chin. I mean, this is a team that you know gets down early, but Jameis Winston finds a way 
the one thing about that guy, he's he's just he's just tough, mentally tough. I mean, no no matter the obstacles it seems, and no matter all the off the field distractions and whatnot, this guy has a way of of, of fighting through it all and and doing what he needs to do and putting his team in position to win football games. The guy has done it over the past two seasons, and it looks like Florida State's on its way to the Final Four. You know, barring an upset, and anything is possible. But it looks like Florida State is on its way to a national to being in the Final Four with the opportunity to win a national title. One thing about Florida State, you almost get the sense that you don't know. It's a team that you'll believe they'll lose when they actually lose, because it, it just you know Clemson when Jameis Winston was out in that particular game. I thought for sure, you know, as that game was going along, that Florida State was done. With the backup quarterback, he was awful, wasn't really playing good football. But, I mean, you know, strange things happen. Fumbles and things of that nature happen, and Florida State made the plays to survive and ultimately get the W. And that's the thing about Florida State. They advance. They win, and they advance. And that's what you got to do. You win. You move forward, and Florida State is winning, and Florida State is moving forward. But you wonder, at some point, is all these comebacks, is it going to bite this football team in the butt at some point? I mean, they found a way to come back each and every time. They, they did it in the championship game against Auburn, where they were behind, and they found a way to come back. That's because of the greatness of Jameis Winston. He's a great football player. When we come back, we're going to be joined by Marvin Bracey. You're listening to Go For It on Block Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It. Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but that doesn't mean see anything in the playoffs time. When the playoffs come, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. I was trying to throw uh, you. you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. <laughs> we see what you can do. We've seen it. <laughs> I would never bring my wife around to. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's that Rocky. (laughs) That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. And we're going to bring in a guy now who's he's fast. He's a very fast guy. You know, he, he played football for Florida State. He did football and track at Florida State, but he decided, you know what, I'm ready to turn pro. I'm ready to become a full-time track star, and that's what he's doing. Let's bring him in now, track star Marvin Bracey. Marvin, how are you, man? I'm finding yourself, sir. Doing well. Thanks for joining us. No problem, man. Thanks for having me. Marvin, i got to ask you this. I mean, you decided to give up football and, and turn professional uh, for track and become a track star. Are there times when you miss football? Oh man, um, just about every day of my life. Uh, you can ask anybody in my training group. I come 
ready to talk about football any day. You know, I'm out there doing little mini drills for no apparent reason. It was, it was probably the hardest decision I think I've ever had to make so far. Now, you know, obviously you made the decision. You are a track star at this point in time. But do you ever see yourself, I mean, you're only 20 years old, do you ever see yourself saying, you know what, I want to give football a try somewhere down the line? Do you, do you see that happening for you? I said it to myself every day, and I got a master plan. And I got, I'm not going to reveal it just, just yet, but I got a master plan because I actually do want to someday return, you know, to football, you know, hopefully to the NFL. Okay, so you, you do have a master plan. You are 20 years old. So hypothetically speaking, obviously you don't want to reveal the master plan, but let's just say 2016, you're on the Olympic team. You're about, what, 22 years old at that point in time. Let's just yeah, say you win gold. You, you win gold. You're successful there. Um, could the master plan involve you going to football at that point in time? Nah, that's, that's a little too soon. I, you know, I, I, I can survive to 2020, you know. Okay, okay. 2020, the Olympics, about the world championships, you know, that's enough to, you know, get my name out there, you know, do a lot of great things, and then say, you know, um, peace out track, you know, I think I'm going to go back to football. And at that point in time, I'll be 26 years old, and, okay. you know, I haven't taken the NFL hit yet. So, you know, I'm you know, I'm not young, but I'm not, you know, I'm still kind of fresh. Right, right. And, you know, it's almost like dog years and human years in a lot of ways in, in some respect. In football years, you still would be fresh because, like you said, you're not taking the pounding, you're not taking the big-time hits. So, yeah, we'll see. Anything is possible. Let me ask you this. Obviously, when you made the transition, you, in college you did track and you did football, but you, you went strictly to track and turned professional. How much did your training change for you? How much did the training change? Uh, um, it, it was a bit. Um, because like before, even before college, I was with you know uh, I had my high school team and an individual coach. So I went from that to the next year. I you know I went through football, you know suffered a little injury, got to track, you know had a little bit of fun, and then basically did that training. And then within a whole another year, another I'm doing a professional. You know I'm in a professional atmosphere. You know with professional people and you know, a great coach, and it was just it was, just, it was quite a change. I can say that much. We're talking to former Florida State star, now track star, Marvin Bracey. And, and, Marvin, let me ask you this now. What, what has been the biggest adjustment for you going from college to now being a professional? Um, probably the travel. It, it's ridiculous. Um, it's fun. Don't get me wrong. Um, there's this last year I went to a, a bunch of places. I basically flew, you know, nine hours to Russia to run six seconds, which is crazy to me. You know, they, you know all, all of that way just to, you know, spike up for six seconds and then get back on the plane and do it all over again. But, you know, it's really cool. It's a great experience. But, you know, sometimes it can kind of wear out on you. And speaking of travel, you traveled to Poland in March uh, at the World Indoor Championships, 60-meter dash. You finished second. Talk about that performance. Oh, it was, it was like I said, it was quite, it's all quite an experience. It was really fun. You know, it was a long week, you know, a lot of anticipation built up. Um, I went in, you know, you know, expected to win or, you know, at least medal, which I did. But, I mean, you always want to win. And it was just, you know, unfortunate that, you know, the top three guys that in the world that were ahead of me actually, you know, all suffered injuries or you pulled out or couldn't run, you know. So it would have been nice to waste those guys. But, you know, for what it's worth, you know, the, um, you know, congratulations to the winner, Richard Kilty. You know, he was a great competitor. You know, he PR'd every round. So it was just, you, just, you know, you never know what people bring, you know, on each day because, you know, some days they can be having a good day, and some days, you know, they can be having a not-so-good one and, you know, slip up. For sure. And, you know, 
next year, 2015, the world championships are, are going to happen. In America, we are all about the Olympics, but the world, they love the world championships. Talk about your preparation for the world championships in 2015. Oh, like I told you, um, we've been training for two weeks. You know, I'm pretty sure, you know, most track athletes, you know, uh, that's, that, 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 that compete have been training you know, for the same you know, amount of time. But, um, it's you know, every, you know this whole group has come, you know, with a different order this year. You know, everybody wants to get on this team. You know, we have a bunch of, you know, different – we have a bunch of international athletes. So, you know, we got these, you know, Jamaican athletes that want to go and make that team and, you know, make a statement. And we have it, you know, here. we got a couple of Americans. And so everybody's out there working hard, you know, doing their best and trying to push each other to all, you know, see each other in Beijing. For sure, for sure. You know, the Olympics are coming. And, you know, at this point – how close is your dream of making an Olympic team? How, how close is that for you? Oh man, it's it's vastly approaching. Um, I, I'm really ready. Uh, 2012, I really wanted to try out, and I suffered a hamstring injury. And my high school state meet, you know, I wanted to be one of the youngest people to make it, or you know, even medal if that was possible. But um, you know, God got a plan, so you know, I'm not really rushing it. But like I said, I'm ready. And, you know, obviously that, that had to be a big-time setback. And, and here's the thing about the Olympics. It's every four years. So when you have that opportunity and, you know, you get a hamstring injury or you falter, that's got to be very difficult. How, how long did it take you to get over something like that back in 2012? Um, Because I didn't, you know, I, I didn't really know the ramifications of, you know, how big everything is and, you know, the moment and stuff like that. I can say, you know, it was, after that next year, you know, I knew I was going to college to play football. So I was kind of like, oh, you know. I didn't make it. 2016 to be around the corner, and I just you know focus on football and try to do both and focus on well, football and track in college. And you know when 2016 approaches, you know I'll be ready. It'll be my time. But um, you know now with this opportunity coming up, now if I you know if I unfortunately don't make it, then they'll be like, oh man, like that. I'm pretty sure that have a different effect on me. Right. We're talking to track star Marvin Bracey, and, and Marvin, you know, let me ask you this now. I mean. How much do you pay attention to Florida State football? I, I, I pay so much attention to Florida State football. I basically, you know, I, I watch the games and I try to, you know, call out the plays and, you know, I put in my own little two cents or whatever. But, you know, I pay so much attention because i got a bunch of great friends on the team and, you know, I'm just so happy for those guys and the way things are going. For sure. And, and you know, one, uh, Jameis Winston, quarterback for that particular football team, we've heard about all the incidents with Jameis over the years. You know him better than than I do. Do you think he is misunderstood? I think he is highly misunderstood. Um, he's, he's a great guy, you know, and that's not you know me just being you know just just saying that out of just because I know him and just come I'm his friend. But you know, before I even knew this kid, before I, you know, I met him at a Under Armour All American game, and I could tell from right there, you know, that meant that guy was a special person and he was a leader, and you know, he just brought like a different you know feel to the game and. I feel like you know he's, a, he's like I said he's a great person and he really people really do misunderstand him, but you know like I said that's just the price of you know being who he is. And one thing that I admire about the guy is his mental makeup from the standpoint that no matter what's going on, no matter the distractions, he still finds a way to focus on that football field and get it done. Do you see that with him? All the time. Um, I mean, I've seen that since the first day of you know a uh, freshman training camp with this guy. So. I knew that, you know, he was hungry, he wanted to get out there, he wanted to win, he wanted to, you know, provide for this team, and that's what he's doing. So, um, sure. yeah, and the, the guy's a gamer, you know, he's able to, the louder the noise around him, the, the the better he seems to focus and, you know, taper down and, you know, do what he needs to do. So, you know, 
when it's all said and done, do the Seminoles get it done this year and repeat? I hope so. I think so. <laughs> I, I pray, you know, and I just know that they'll, they'll all come together, you know, at the right moment, which they have been doing uh, at the second half of every game and, you know, get another championship. Hope so, think so. I need I need something more than that. I know so. <laughs> okay, all right. I know so. Hold me to that. Okay, all right. They will win another one. <laughs> We're talking to track star Marvin Bracey. Marvin, I want to ask you this now. In terms of the 100-meter dash, obviously, you know, you had some good numbers this season in terms of the 100-meter dash. But how close are you to becoming a sub-10 100-meter dash runner? Oh, man, it's so close I can taste it. And it's just like, you know, every race, you know, even on the bad, even in the bad races I've had, you know, I go out there and I'm just feeling, you know, I'm feeling it. I'm feeling, you know, talking to my coach and I'm just like, man, I need I, you know, nine seconds. It's just like, it's like right there. I'm just like on the brink of, you know, just getting there so I, you know, get the feel. And then, you know, you go out there and you have, you, you get close and you're just like, oh my God. But, um, you know, it, it, it's a process. You know, it, we, we break it down, you know, we watch film like how football players watch it. You know, we watch our races you know, over and over, watch it a thousand times to see exactly, you know, what steps you missed, what you did wrong, what you did right, you know, what you can improve on, you know, stuff like that. So, I, I, but I feel like this year, this year will definitely be the year. It's going to have to be the year if I plan on making this team. For sure. Have you ever gotten below 10 in terms of at, at practice or anything? Yeah, a bunch of times. And it's just like, man. But, I mean, it's like, it's like you know, since it's in a, in, a, in a race setting, you know, everything is so different. You know, adrenaline is different. You know, you're a lot more calmer at practice. You're more comfortable. But when you get in, you know, in a race, there's chaos, and there's other people you know, that's ready to run. And in this sport, you can't control, you know, what the next person does. So, you know, for example, like, a, you know, Justin Gatlin is in your race. You know that for sure this man is about to drop, you know, 985 or better. So you just better be ready. And that can kind of, like, screw it runners. Or that could kind of, like, prepare runners to, you know, be on his tail and, you know, at least, you know, give him a run for the money. Now, there's been a lot of great sprinters over the years. Is there a sprinter out there that you emulated throughout the course of your track career? Uh, I, I really like. I really looked up to my my uh, my training partner, uh, Tyson Gay, and also you know Justin Gallen. You know, like you know, they're gamers. They went in big moments. You know, they show up and they do what they have to do. And you know, actually being you know able to train with Tyson, I see that you know behind the nine six and the the nine sevens and all the, you know the great races he's ran. I can see the work that he actually put in and you know see you know how he actually you know builds up into you know each and every meet. And just see how he carries himself, and, you know, that's just something you can uh, learn from. Now, we said the world championships are in 2015. What's next for Marvin Bracey? What's next for you? Oh, uh, well, first, you know, uh, well, first of all, I'm going to take it, you know, meet by meet. And, you know, that that's, that, that, that you know that comes later. You know, world championships comes later. That's going to be later in the year. Right now, I'm going to just focus on, you know, getting through the fall uh, training system and then, you know, start my sprint. And when Endo comes, you know, I'm going to try to, taper down and get what I need to do done and, you know, get as many wins as possible. And then come USA, it's time to make this team and then to take it a step, a step further. For sure. Now, Marvin, you are on Twitter. Where can fans connect with Marvin Bracey on Twitter? Underscore Brace Yourself, B-R-A-C-E-Y-A-S-E-L-F. So now should fans brace themselves for some of the big things that are going to happen with Marvin Bracey in 2015 and beyond? They definitely should because this is going to be a big year for me and even for my group. Okay. No doubt. Marvin, appreciate the time, man. Wish you nothing but the best of luck 
moving forward. And as you said, Florida State will win the national title, so I'm going to hold you to that. Please do. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate your time, sir. No doubt. Take care, sir. Good luck to you. Thank you. Marvin Bracey, track star, former Florida State wide receiver. I mean, he's making the transition from track star, from uh, wide receiver to track star, and he's making it pretty good. 20 years old, man. I mean, so he's a young guy, young guy. So he's got a lot of a lot of stuff to accomplish moving forward, and we look forward to seeing Marvin accomplish all those great things moving forward. Should be exciting, uh, exciting time for him. He's young. I mean, 20 years old. I mean, you know, you, I wish I was 20 years old again sometimes. I mean, the the, the you know the way your body is and you know, the, the the energy that you have. I mean, I wish I was 20 years old, man. But, you know, we wish Marvin Bracey nothing but the best of luck moving forward. Let's go back now. Let's go to baseball. And this week, and, you know, John Carlos Stan, Gene Carlos Stan, you know, uh, this guy just got paid. I mean, we're talking about guys getting paid and, you know, Kobe not taking home down, hometown discounts and things of that nature. But Stanton just got himself a boatload of money. He got himself a boatload of money, 13 years, $325 million. $325 million, that's a lot of money, a lot of money. And, and to me, to me, Here's how I look at it. Here's how I look at it. To me, obviously, you know, first and foremost, this guy is coming off a gruesome injury, a gruesome injury to, you know, where he got hit in the face. And and some guys have a hard time making that comeback from that. A hard time. But just looking at this contract, obviously it's a big-time contract, but it's a – it's a backloaded contract. It's a backloaded contract, and, you know, it does give the Marlins an opportunity to build uh, around them. And, you know, not, here's the thing. Here's the thing. You know, it's a lot of money, first and foremost. And, you know, we've seen in baseball guys who've gotten that big-time contract, those long, crazy contracts, and not deliver. Alex Rodriguez, well, we finally found the truth about Alex Rodriguez. He's a steroid baby. You know, um, you, you you look at other guys. I mean, Albert Pujols. Obviously, he's not living up to his big time contract. You know, so the, 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 we we've seen it over the years. These contracts, these long term big time contracts, they tend to backfire. They tend to bite you in the butt. They tend to bite teams in the butt. And you look at it. The Marlins, the way it breaks down, they're only on the hook. They're they're only paying 107 million. For the first six seasons of the deal, so it's a backloaded contract. And here's the thing: here's the thing. I mean, you know, obviously, you want to 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 make it make baseball popular in Florida. And here's the thing about the Miami Marlins: this is a team that's had a lot of success. When you think about it, I mean, you know, they they won the two titles, but each and every time they broke up the team. But the thing is, even when they were winning. Even when they were, were having a lot of success, the fans weren't coming out and supporting this team. They weren't coming out and supporting this team. They weren't. Even when they were having all this success, fans were not flocking to see the Miami Marlins. 
fans don't flock to see the Tampa Bay Rays. And that's been a good baseball team for the last few years. They don't do it. So, uh, to me, you know, obviously you got a new stadium with the Marlins and everything. But to me, it's not going to matter because we've seen the Marlins have success. It's not going to matter. What they do in terms of a ball club, I, I don't think they'll ever. I mean, they've got a brand-new ballpark, and granted, they've got some bad players and a bad team, and they're getting better. they got some young talent. But you look at this, this, this franchise, and when they've had success, people still did not come out and watch them. Even with the success that they had, people did not come out and watch them. They didn't. So my point, you know, obviously to me, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of risk because you don't know if he, when he does come back, if he will be the same player in terms of will he be willing to stand in there? Will he be okay standing in there in the batter's box? Will he be okay? And I think that's a legitimate question. Will he be okay? Can he handle it? That's a legitimate question. I don't know if he can. Time will tell. But we've seen it. It was what? Dickie Thon took a ball to the face and, you know, took a long time for him to get back and get right. You know, it, it, to me, it, it takes a lot of courage and a lot of guts to stand in that batter's box while somebody is throwing a hundred, ninety million dollars, you know, a hundred million, hundred mile per hour fastball at you. You know, that's to me is is you know that's that's tough. That that takes guts. That takes courage. And you know, when baseball players stand in there, you know, I, I got the utmost respect for them. The utmost respect. But did they overpay? Sure, of course, they overpaid. They gave him too much. Doesn't matter. I mean, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you know, uh, is it going to bring people to Miami Marlins games? Nah, it won't. It, it has, you know, they, they've, like I said, they've had so much success, had so much success, it still hasn't mattered. It still hasn't mattered. Doesn't matter. People in Miami don't care. And they never will care. Let's be honest. They don't care. Heck, I mean, the, the, the Miami fan, the, the Miami fans are, are one of the worst fans in base, and, and you know, in, in sports. They didn't deserve the big three. They didn't deserve to have that, that, that Wade and Bosch and LeBron. They didn't deserve that because that fan base is a fan base that doesn't care. They don't care. You saw a whole bunch of empty seats at Heat games, night in and night out, a bunch of empty seats. They don't care. It's a bad sports town. The fans are not good. They're not good fans, in my opinion. They're not. They're not good fans. So as far as I'm concerned, as far as I'm concerned, and looking at, the Miami Marlins. These deals don't work out too well, history has shown us. And and I don't see this deal 
working out too well moving forward. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. And, and <laughs> I'm going. I want to. We we talked about the Sixers earlier, and Eric Bledsoe saying that Kentucky Wildcats, this version of the Kentucky Wildcats, could beat could beat the uh, 2014 Philadelphia 76ers in a basketball game. <laughs> and you know, I, I thought that maybe with Bledsoe coming to town, coming to Philadelphia tonight that maybe the Sixers would come out and play uh, uh, or would have a spirited effort, would play big-time basketball. But right now they're down by 21 in the third quarter, 74 to 53. They're down 21 points, and the losing or the tanking continues. It continues, and it will continue. Get used to it. Get used to it because it's it's up. But it is what it is. It, it really does. It, it, it sucks. But it is what it is. So, and, and they're just getting destroyed right now by the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> That's funny. It's funny because we we just talked about it. And, you know, I, you know, it's funny. But anyway, switching gears and staying in the NBA. Um, you look at the NBA right now and. You know, Cleveland Cavaliers, and, and each each and every time we're, we're looking at the Cavaliers, and, you know, we want this thing to come together for them. We, we, we're waiting for this thing to come together. We're, we're, every time they lose, we're, we're shocked, we're amazed, we're in awe, we're, we're, you know, we're jumping off bridges every time this team loses. But the Cavaliers right now are 5-5. Five and five. They're 5-5. Five and five. And this is a team now that one thing – you know, obviously the, the biggest issue when it comes to the Cavaliers is their ability to defend. Their ability to defend. And, you know, their ability to defend, this is a team that's 23rd in points allowed. They're giving up 103 points a night. Giving up 103 points a night. And, you know, that's not winning basketball. It's just not. you got to do better. you got to do better. And, you know, it's not winning basketball in Cleveland. And here's the thing. You know, I said before, it takes time to put this thing together. It takes time. The big three in Miami struggled early on, but they took off. They took off. And so I look at it, and, you know, I'm saying this team could take off at some point, but they got to defend it's going to be difficult. You can't outscore everybody. You got to defend. And 103 points per game, 23rd in the league, that's unacceptable. I mean, they're also not reading the rebounding the basketball too well. They're 23rd in that. And Kevin Love was a double double machine, so you think that would be a little better? And Varejao's pretty good on the boards. You thought that would be a little better? And again, it's a work in process, uh, in progress. It's most definitely a work in progress. And so, hopefully. They can work work it through, work it out, and get it right. But it's going to take time. Relax, as Aaron Rodgers said. Relax, as LeBron James says, because this will take some time. I want to go to the Washington Redskins and RG. I mean, you know, RG3 was roasted by his coach, Jay Gruden. Jay Gruden did apologize. He did apologize. But I just look at RG3 and – you know, his comments to me, 
were innocent. I, I didn't necessarily thought I didn't necessarily think he called out his team. I don't think he called out his team. I, I really don't. I really don't. I don't think he called out his team. I really don't. But you know, at the same time, you know, obviously his coach did because his coach came out and roasted him. Told him he needs to worry about himself. He roasted him. He roasted him. And you know, I didn't. I I, I found Robert Griffin III's comments to be innocent on a lot of levels. But again, I'm not in that locker room. And you know, obviously Jay Gruden felt it wasn't right, and he addressed it. And and so. Here's also reality, as Deshaun Jackson said. You can't do great things with basic people. And maybe RG3 is a basic quarterback. Obviously, he's not been a guy who's been good in the pocket. He's not. He he hasn't been good in the pocket. He hasn't. You know, there there was a Monday morning quarterback, Peter King, in his website, you know, you're breaking down film and, and, and showing how he meant, you know, he wasn't he wasn't doing the necessary didn't have the necessary mechanics to be successful in the pocket. He's a guy that they say, you know, is having some hard time running the ball. You know? And, and so he's he's a guy who is obviously probably doesn't have the same the same type of quarterback quarterbacking ability that he once had as a rookie. He, he, he doesn't have the same type of quarterbacking ability that he had as a rookie. He, he, I don't see it. I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it. You know, when he came onto the seat, and here's the funny thing. Who knew three years ago, three years ago, when, when RG3 took the Redskins by storm and he stepped onto the scene and, you know, he led the Redskins to the playoffs. 20 and 5, 20 touchdowns, only five interceptions, and, and you know they were dominant. He was he had a dominant rookie season. He had a big time rookie season, and he led the Redskins to the playoffs. We thought the Redskins had finally turned it around. We thought the Redskins had finally found their franchise guy moving forward. He was the star of DC. It, it was his town, and it all changed on that game against Seattle where his knee just buckled and, and, and his knee gave way and he was and has not been the same quarterback. And, you know, it, it seems like just like Marshawn Lynch hates talking, RG3 seems to like to talk, but maybe he's talking too much. Maybe he's talking too much. And here's the thing. In the process of talking too much, you know, he's getting himself in a lot of trouble. He's putting himself, you know, fans are not respecting. His teammates are not respecting the guy. Maybe they're thinking he's a diva. Maybe they're thinking he's this, that, or what have you. They're not respecting RG3. They're not respecting this guy. You're listening to Go For It on Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Go For It, Donald Faison. Your Knicks have the best chance out east, though. I will say that. The Knicks have the best chance in the Eastern Conference to beat the Miami Heat. And the Knicks have had some success against the Miami Heat in the regular season, but... That doesn't mean anything in the playoffs, time. When the playoffs come, it doesn't mean anything. 
I was trying to throw you. you know I was trying to throw you a bone, man. I was trying to get your nah. your hopes up. Come on, man. I'm a realist <laughs> too, man. <laughs> Actor Robbie Jones. Well, we know that you know. We know that you can tempt married women. We've seen you. You, you have a pedigree. We see what you can do. We've seen it. I would never bring my wife around you. I just don't know what you're capable of. Come on now. Come on now. That's all right. That's not right. That's called butter. All right. Sounds good. Thank you so much. You're very, very good at your job. Thank you, sir. Make it fun. You really do. (laughs) And we're back. And, you know, again, I was talking about RG3, Robert Griffin III, and, you know, it's just amazing how 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 much he's fallen, you know, and, and his the luster has you know he, he was a guy that we just everybody was loving RG three. I mean, you loved him, you loved the guy, you loved his competitive fire, you loved what he brought to the table, you know. But now, you know, here's the thing, and here's the funny thing about sports, and how quickly people turn on you. People easily can turn on you, and. They've turned on RG3, big time, turned on him. The Redskins fan base turned on him, turned on this guy. And, the thing, and you know, I don't know if it'll get better for RG3. And maybe it could be a situation where RG3 now, because before, obviously, you, you got the sense, you know, the owner was, was, was coddling this guy, and, you know, a lot of people were coddling, coddling this guy. But you got the sense, but now you get the sense that maybe RG3 would benefit from a change of scenery. You know, obviously him and the Shanahan's didn't get along. And so you're saying maybe once the Shanahan's left, that maybe RG3 could regain whatever he had that rookie season. But the Shanahan's left, and, and RG3 is still back to playing bad football. And, you know, Colt McCoy... Be as it may, led the Redskins to two victories. Two victories he's led the Redskins to. Came off the bench for the Washington Redskins and got them a victory. And then went to Dallas and got them a victory. So you look at that whole situation. You look at the whole situation. I said, Colt McCoy probably should not have been taken out until he lost. And to me, if Robert Griffin III, if, if, if he is still a little limited, then why is he out there? And we don't, you know, I, I mean, it doesn't seem like the same Robert Griffin III. He doesn't seem like that guy. Maybe it's confidence. But here's also, maybe it's a confidence thing, maybe it's a physical thing. But here's the bottom line in a lot of ways. Here's the bottom line in a lot of ways. As an NFL quarterback, you know, you can have all the athletic ability in the world. You can run the ball, be able to run the ball, be able to have escape ability, be able to do all those things, be the most athletic guy in the world. But the reality of being a quarterback in the National Football League is that at the end of the day, no matter how much athleticism that you have, no matter how much escapability that you have, no matter how fast you run, how fast you cut, no matter those things, 
You have to be able, at the end of the day, you have to be able to stand in there and be a pocket passer. You have to be able to throw from the pocket. And to this point, Robert Griffin III has not shown that ability. He has not shown that ability. And quite frankly, you wonder if he will ever be able to show that ability. Have we seen the best of RG3? I mean, his rookie season, was that it? Was that the best of RG3? And will we ever see RG3, the RG3 that we saw as a rookie? Will we ever see it? I don't know. I I, I can honestly say I don't know. But, you know, they, they say his mechanics are off. He's sloppy in the pocket. If all those things are off, and obviously, you know, you're in your third year at some point, and health has been an issue, I get that, but at some point, you have to be able to, to like I said, stand in there and throw the passes within that pocket. That's what you have to be able to do as an NFL quarterback. And RG3, again, has regressed in that area. He's not progressing. He's he's regressing. And you wonder if it will ever change. That is the key question. And you wonder that if it's best that RG3 has a change of scenery and gets out of that Redskin locker room and goes somewhere else. I mean, it, the thing about RG3 and, and you know, when he, that making that comeback and, you know, getting himself on that field for the Eagle game last season, the first game of the year. The thing about it is this. When, when, when I, you know, when you watch that first game against the Philadelphia Eagles um, last season, you were saying, obviously, this dude is not healthy. This guy is not 100%. He's, he, he, he's not moving around. He's dragging that leg. He is not 100%. Why in the heck is he out there? Why is he out there? There's no reason for him to be out there. Based off of what we saw of Kirk Cousins, maybe, you know, he should have been out there. But anyway, he has he wasn't the same guy, and he wasn't ready to be there. And I know, you know, you saw the promotions, you saw, uh, you saw the various commercials and, and everything about RG3 getting out there, getting out there, let's get him out there, let's get Robert Griffin III out there. Let's get Robert Griffin. You know, let's let's you know the the big comeback, the the documentaries, everything. Everything was pointing to RG three getting back for game one against the Philadelphia Eagles. But I watched him game one. He wasn't a healthy quarterback. He wasn't. He had no business being out there. In the season, as he went on, he struggled. He struggled, and he struggled some more. He struggled. I don't know if RG three will ever get right. I don't know. I really don't. I like to see him get right, but I don't know if it's going to happen. We shall see. I want to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles for a moment. And, um, you know, Philadelphia Eagles got blown out by the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay put up 50 points, 50-plus points against the Philadelphia Eagles. And how about the Green Bay Packers? Aaron Rodgers, he's balling. He's getting it done. You know, he's throwing the football around. Uh, left and right making plays, left and right and getting it done, flat-out balling. But anyway, 
the Philadelphia Eagles, and, and I, I'm looking at that team, and, and I was thinking this week, interesting, just thinking about that team and, and thinking about, you know, them moving forward. And, and, and it takes me back to the Ray Rhodes era of Philadelphia Eagle football. And if you remember 95-96, Ray Rhodes and the Philadelphia Eagles got to the playoffs two straight years. Um you know, won a playoff game the first year. And, you know, this was a team, two seasons, two 10-win seasons for Ray Rhodes. Two 10-win seasons. And so the Eagles were a team that, you know, a lot of people at that point in time, and they surprised people getting to the playoffs and everything. First year, Randall was ineffective running a West Coast offense. John Gruden was the offensive coordinator at the time. Boy wonder, boy genius at the time. And, and Randall didn't run the West Coast offense very well. Ultimately, he got taken out. Rodney Pete came in, led the Philadelphia Eagles to the playoffs. They get to the playoffs. They beat up on the Detroit Lions. I was there in person at that particular football game. They lose the following week against the Dallas Cowboys. But anyway, 96, they come back. Rodney Pete gets hurt. Ty Detmer comes in. Ty Detmer leads the Philadelphia Eagles to the playoffs. And they lose to the San Francisco 49ers in the playoffs. They lose to the San Francisco 49ers. But I look at those Eagle teams. Decent football teams. You know, not bad football teams. Obviously, they're playoff teams. They were decent. Decent defense. Um, you know, but at the end, of a good running game. Ricky Waters, Charlie Garner. Um, but the thing about those Eagles team is, you know, they didn't have a franchise quarterback. And they didn't have that franchise guy. And, you know, Rodney Pete isn't a franchise quarterback, but he did lead them to the playoffs. Ty Detmer wasn't a franchise quarterback, but he did lead them to the playoffs. But these are not fran- – they weren't franchise guys. And fast forward to 2014, the Philadelphia Eagles. Nick Foles, 27-2 a year ago this season, struggled, was a turnover machine. A lot of people said maybe he was a franchise guy at this point. A lot of people have questions of whether or not he is a franchise quarterback. Rodney Pete, I mean, excuse me, Mark Sanchez, his replacement. You know, he's played well. He's turned the ball over a little bit, but he's played well. and got. You know, Green Bay wasn't that good, but he could have played a perfect game, and he probably still would have lost that game because they had no answer for the Green Bay Packers offense. But the bottom line is this. The Philadelphia Eagles – could actually go to the playoffs again this year and still not have a franchise quarterback. And that was the way it was back in 1995 and 1996. They got to the playoffs in both of those seasons, but those were football teams, 10-1 seasons, back-to-back. Well, those were teams that you said to yourself, did they do they really have a franchise caliber quarterback? And you know, the answer back then was you really weren't sure, but probably not. The answer now in terms of whether or not they have a franchise quarterback is you're not really sure. And so the in actuality Philadelphia could get to the playoffs again twice both years and 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 you know, maybe win a playoff game this year. Maybe. But at the end of the day, you're asking, do the Philadelphia Eagles have a franchise quarterback? And the question is, probably no. No. 
And quarterback play is what separates teams in this league. And if you don't have a quarterback, you're going to have a difficult time winning in the National Football League. It's just the reality of the situation. But I look at, I, I look at the Philadelphia Eagles presently. They don't have a franchise quarterback. They didn't have it in 95 and 96, and you could argue they didn't have it in 2013 and 2014. So now they could be in the same situation. Following year 1997, the Eagles, they all fell apart. Pete, Detmer, Hoying. All had bad years. So I mean, Bobby Hoying did come on and surprise some people, but you know, and, and the thought was maybe Bobby Hoying would be the franchise guy. But in 1998, he stunk to join up. He was gone. Never was his. Never really made any noise in the National Football League after that. After 1998. But anyway, anyway, the reality is the Eagles could be in the same position. Ultimately, it cost Ray Rhodes his job. They didn't find that franchise quarterback, and it cost Ray Rhodes his job. Reality is is this. The Eagles, they might get to the playoffs, and because they made it to the playoffs, they won't have a high enough pick, and therefore they they may not be able to get And Granted, we've seen it. You can get quarterbacks in second, third rounds. We've seen a Kaepernick, a second rounder, Russell Wilson, a third rounder, Tom Brady, sixth rounder. So you can get quarterbacks in later rounds. But, you know, the the chances – diminish and your opportunity to get that franchise guy diminishes so the point I'm trying to make is this the Eagles could be in the same position they were in 95-96 and ultimately make the playoffs both season still not have that franchise guy and instead of Chip Kelly getting fired maybe Chip Kelly decides you know what it's time for me to head back to college it's time for me to head back to the college game and, and and try to make some noise there. That's what Chip Kelly may end up doing if the Eagles don't figure out this quarterback situation. We've seen Chip Kelly's offense, but have we seen the whole thing? Have we seen the whole thing? Have, you know, Michael Vick was the quarterback who started this out, and he was a guy who had a running component, but he also was a guy who turned the football over. Have we seen the quarter, prototypical quarterback? Have we, he still hasn't found his quarterback to run this offense and run this offense to you know with, with everything involved in it because you get the sense in order to truly Chip says you know you can put anybody in there but you get the sense in order to truly truly run this offense the way that it needs to be ran you need a quarterback that can run Nick Foles can't run Mark Sanchez is not much of a runner either. So you'll see, we'll see what happens. But 1995 and 96 could be similar to 2013 and 2014 for the Philadelphia Eagles. History could truly repeat itself for the Philadelphia Eagles. It really could. It really could. We shall Let's go to the fight tomorrow night. Manny Pacquiao, Chris Algieri, and Macau, China. 
Algieri, Pacquiao, and, and Chris Algieri is a guy, you know, who came out of nowhere. Came out of nowhere. And so, in coming out of nowhere, he beat Providing the Cough and, and beat him, you know, in surprising fashion. No one expected that, especially after what we saw in that first round when Providing the Cough dropped Chris Algieri. But he came back and ultimately took over the fight and won the fight. Manny Pacquiao now, uh, a guy now who, you know, has been talking and chirping about the possibilities of Mayweather after this particular fight. The talk about there, there's a pot that he's saying that Bob Arum is in negotiations for Floyd Mayweather. I mean, I don't know how much I believe it. I don't know how much I, be, I believe it. But I don't – it's a fight again if it happens – I'll be ecstatic. But if it doesn't, I wouldn't be surprised. I just hope that it does. But anyway, anyway, I look at the whole situation with this fight. And this is a fight that Manny Pacquiao probably should win. This is a fight that, you know, you hope Pacquiao wins, especially if there's that that opportunity with Mayweather. You hope that he wins, but Pacquiao over the years has shown vulnerability, and you know he's shown that vulnerability against Juan Manuel Marquez after he was dropped and knocked out cold. That fight right there told us, showed us the vulnerability of Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao. But the the thing is, he still got a lot of. I think he still has a lot left. He still has a lot of ability. This is a fight he should win. He's still the better fighter. He still should get it done. I think he does get it done. By decision, I don't think he stops Algeri. Algeri's a tough guy. I don't think he stops Algeri, but I think he gets it done. And maybe, and hopefully, it leads the way to what we've been waiting for. Chris Algeri did come into this fight overweight, but he did ultimately strip down and ultimately made weight. He made weight. So, I'm looking forward to it. I don't think I'll buy this fight. As a matter of fact, I know I won't buy this fight. The undercard stinks. I'm not going to spend my money with, with the undercard that bad. So I won't be buying the fight. But, you know, I, I'm interested in the fight. I'm definitely interested in the fight. And, you know, I'm hoping. Here's the thing. Here's my hope. If Pacquiao and Mayweather are going to fight, after if Pacquiao wins, then I'm rooting for Pacquiao. If not, I'm rooting for Chris Algieri. Because he's, he seems to be a guy that, you know, he works hard. He came from nowhere, started from the bottom. Now he's here type of uh, situation with him. So if that's the case, if that's the case, if if I don't get a Mayweather-Pacquiao fight after this fight or it, this won't lead to a Mayweather-Pacquiao fight, then I'm rooting for Algeri. That's the bottom line. We'll see what happens. Should be interesting. Should be very interesting. A guy that we bring on a lot, Chris Rold, Cliff Rold, I should say, from BoxingScene.com, well, he has, he has Manny Pacquiao with a stoppage victory. So we'll see how that works out. LeGarrette Blunt, he's back in New England. You know, and we saw LeGarrette walking off early in that Steeler game, walking off early because he's not getting the touches that he wants. Not happy about the lack of touches that he's getting. He wasn't happy about it. Wasn't happy. 
And, you know, the bottom line is this. You know, sometimes you get the touches, sometimes you don't, but you can't walk off early. And also the reality is this. If, you know, you can be a, if you're a distraction and you're expendable, they're going to get rid of you, and they're going to make an example out of you if you're talking too much. Chase Devon, perfect example of that, though. He also resurfaced with the Kansas City Chiefs. He questioned the offense, questioned the play calling in Carolina. Ultimately, they didn't like that. Ultimately, they sent him packing. They sent him packing. And so the reality is this. If you're not if you're not a person, if you're not a person who who is is a talented person, if you're not a person who is thought of highly, then guess what? They're not going to want to keep you around, and they're not going to, uh, you know, if if you are not getting it done, they're not going to beg you to stick around. They're going to get ready. They're going to kick you out. They will kick you out and say you're expendable. LeGarrette Blunt, you're not worth distractions that you bring to the table. And LeGarrette Blunt was smoking weed in the offseason in a car with his boy, Le'Veon Bell. But you're not worth the distraction, LeGarrette Blunt. Jason Avant, you're not worth the distraction. Does your production meet your possible distraction? If the answer is no, then you're going to be kicked to the curb. That's what happened with Jason Avant. That's what happened with uh, LeGarrette Blunt. LeGarrette Blunt has resurfaced. Jason Avant has resurfaced. And we wish them guys nothing but the best. But stop talking. Watch what you say. Watch what you do. Jason Avant, watch what you say. And LeGarrette Blunt, watch what you do. Watch what you do, for sure. I want to thank Joe Barksdale for stopping by. Hit him up on Twitter, at Bazooka Joe, and support all the great things going on with Joe Barksdale. He is getting married this summer, and that should be a happy time for him. Also, also, Marvin Bracey, make sure you support him. Good guy. Hit him up on Twitter at underscore brace yourself. You can listen to this show and other great shows at blogtalkradio.com slash pecan, where you can listen to this show and other great shows. Follow this show on Twitter at GoForItCan, G-O-F-O-R-I-T-G-A-N-T. For everybody here at GoFor, we hope you have a great week. We hope you have a happy Thanksgiving. See you later. Take care. Bye.